Welcome to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We hope the following program will challenge you and encourage you in your faith journey. My husband would um, sometimes have to enter into the conversations with our four girls and would find out something they did that they shouldn't have and to just see the looks on my girls' faces when they would realize they've been caught. I remember butting heads with my parents whenever they asked me to do the chores and I was in the middle of something else. And so um, I would do it, but I would do it with a bad attitude. Mm. Well, does that sound familiar? Uh, Parent-teen communication can be so challenging, especially when you're trying to navigate with uh, unexpected conflicts and uh, triggered emotions and disrespect that may not be so subtle, uh, maybe even slam doors. If that's you, stay tuned. We have some hope for you today on Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller, and your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly. But John, I think it's important to acknowledge we all blow it. Uh, I, I would love to do a redo on parenting, because hmm. I just feel like now I've kind of learned the basics, and it'd be fun to start back uh, at the beginning. At and, this energy yeah, level? Well, or <laughs> Well, yeah, the energy level could be another problem. But, uh, you know, having teenagers is fun, exciting, chaotic, hmm. stressful, disappointing at times, all those things, because we're trying to control these kids into a grand future <laughs> that we have for them. Indeed. And uh, at some point, we need to learn how to let go, and that is the key. And I'm so grateful for our guest today, because he has made it his passion to help parents do a better job, A, in maintaining a wonderful relationship with your teenager and future adult child, but also equipping you to manage the rough spots of raising that teenager and things that we can do. So I'm anxious to get into the content. Well, Dr. Ken Wilgus joins us. He has been here a number of times. He's a psychologist, author, speaker. Uh, he has a podcast that he hosts. He specializes in adolescent behavior and has written uh, really a landmark book. It's called Feeding the Mouth That Bites You. <laughs> great title. It is a great title. The subtitle is A Complete Guide to Parenting Adolescents and Launching Them into the world. Stop by focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast for your copy or give us a call. Ken, it's great to have you back. It's great to be here. Thanks. So much fun. I mean, you sit with stressed out parents every day. Every day. <laughs> counseling yeah. them. Yeah. I mean, that takes a bit of patience on your end because you probably have seen so many uh, parents and their teens that how do you find something unique? Because the stories probably begin to blend and look the same. And You know, it ends up with a lot more compassion than it used to. Parents will come to my office, especially if they've read the book, as if they're going to a vice principal. You know, like, <laughs> <clears throat> there's a lot of things we are not doing right. And, and I feel more compassion for the pressure that parents have. Let me ask you, and then we'll get into the book content, but that idea of formula, because it pops up. And a lot of yes. parenting experts have maybe unintentionally projected, if you do A plus B, you get C. Yes. And my experience is it just doesn't necessarily work out that way. What I like to say is these are things that you can do for possibilities. You know, if you do these things, there's a greater possibility your or child will... Or to know will... that you've been the most effective right. you can be, but there's but no it's not formula. all up to you. That's very it, true. And I think Christian parents particularly, because we lock into that, like, Yes if-then statements. If I do these things correctly, then I get the perfect yes. child. Yes. And, and I feel like my, as a psychologist, I feel a little guilty because it feels like my field has kind of put into that myth a lot, mm. that there's this formula. But yeah, so when you talk about meeting with parents, I feel more compassion that, calm down, you're probably doing better than you think. Mm. Uh, and And let's maximize that, but don't 
you know, yeah. make your results based on whether your kids and, turned out. And I think one of the core things right now is sometimes for parents, it's just relax. Mm. You know, some of this will come very naturally it's to true. you. You don't have to over-formulate it, yes. you know, and, and put all this burden upon you. Just be solid, be loving, be kind, be, uh, you know, set the boundaries, follow up on those things. But it, it, it doesn't take a magnifying glass. But, no, it doesn't. <laughs> if I could it say doesn't. it that and way. And those of us that have done our parenting, you know full well that you did stuff you shouldn't have done. And they know and, it too, the and kids. you didn't do stuff you should have done. <laughs> you know, Daniel Winnicott, this old psych- psychoanalyst, would talk about good enough parenting. Yeah. Is it good enough? Yeah. Which is plenty en- enough. So, you know, I feel like I, I don't want to add to any parent's burden of, uh-oh, they talk today about something I haven't been doing. That means yeah. I'm, I'm really messing things up. That's never the case. Well, let's look into the box of secrets yeah, <laughs> that yeah. you've it's talked about. The magic about. stuff. Feeding the mouth that bites you. By the way, did your wife Sally come up with this? She or? did not, that, but, but it sounds just like her. <laughs> <laughs> it's a clever title yeah. because so many parents feel like that. Look at what I'm doing for this teenager, and this is the thanks I get. That's how parents always react. They're like, <laughs> oh, that is so it. So the title fits it. In the book, uh, and really you're concentrating on parent-teen communication, and in the book you go to great lengths talking about this concept of planned emancipation right. for your teenager. And, uh, you know, we engaged Eugene and I because we were struggling with Trent, and Trent knows, so I'm not letting something out of the bag. He was just a strong-willed kid. Trent was doing fine. And he was, actually, he was. Going back. It was <laughs> we're good. It was mom and dad that were struggling. <laughs> Poor guy. But in that context, um, describe what planned emancipation is, and then how do you apply it? Well, it's just recognizing that what we think of as teenagers is brand new stuff, about 110 years ago, and uh, your teenager, 13 and up, has always been known as young adults. If you're old enough to have your own baby, then you're not really a baby. You're a young adult that needs guidance uh, for several more years. But planned emancipation is getting ahead of the curve, uh, finishing uh, with keeping your eye on the finish line, really, and then orderly retreat out of your teenager's life rather than them yanking control from you you actually announce early on these are the things that we are not going to be controlling you answer to yourself and god about yeah and we're going to get into all of that Mm -hmm. so don't think we're skipping by we'll come back and get very specific examples but let me move into this issue of control we laughed about it at the beginning right again i think christian parents particularly we struggle with this because we want an outcome, a preconceived outcome of what this experience is going to be. 4.2, going to Harvard, or, you know, I don't yeah. know. And, and I have those parents, and they're still not totally happy. It could be 4.3. Right, know. right. And it, it does come down to this control issue. Yes. And we tend to, as parents, and I experienced this myself, so I'm speaking only about me, I would tend to treat Trent and Troy when they were six and eight like when they were 14 and 12. Right, right, right. And I, I think that's part of it is, and it's a hard challenge for parents to age your parenting technique mm. with yes. your children. Yes. So even the other day, I mean, Troy said, hey, Troy, man, you might want to jump in the shower. He's, a, he's an older guy he's, now. He's a and he gave me the eye. Like, Dad, are you serious? I was planning <laughs> to do it. And it's a little embarrassing. So I sent him a note. Even this morning, I sent him a note. I said, man, I'm so sorry I said that. That's really your domain. That's not my domain. And But you do that to be more effective when you 
are clearly not trying to control at a point when you shouldn't be. Right. You're more effective when you say, I'm sorry if that came across that way. Not less effective. Yeah. But usually the most control, none of us want to be over controlling. We're afraid. So and that's to, what we end up doing. Speak to some of those examples of control where you've seen parents just struggle with letting go. What does it look like so we can self-assess as we're listening to you? Oh my goodness, I am that parent. Well, with the current way that parents are doing younger children, there's a lot more uh, freedom allowed, you know, instead of picking up a spoon to spank this kid, you pick up your phone and video how cute that they drew on the wall. And so there's a lot more of flexibility than there used to be, which is ends up being kind of reversed because now then you get 13, 14. Can I spend the night? No, no, no. Well, I could when I was eight. Yeah, well, we're going to shut back down. So you end up controlling more because there's a lot scarier safety concerns absolutely which is a realistic thing but if you don't put that in context it's easy for teenagers to feel like wait a minute i'm getting less freedom now than ever you're not letting me do anything and so that comes up in trying to control uh, friendships trying to control even what you think Uh, speech making is definitely uh, one of my favorite ways of doing which all three of my children have made sure that I knew that yes I made speeches Um, (laughs) are lectures not effective they are they turns out because I liked mine (laughs) (laughs) parents will be in my office going and they'll say so I said and I'll interrupt going and so what's your kid and they're like wait wait and they finish their own speech (laughs) and I get it like yeah I liked mine but as my middle daughter famously said on my podcast daddy I remember that you made speeches I don't remember anything you said in your speeches. Wow. So that that and she was our, you know, compliant one is like yeah. even you don't remember the outline of my you don't. So but you try to control thought that way. Yeah. And and it ends up especially with teenagers it's ineffective because yeah. you're you're not addressing the issue of who is in charge of this thing. Ken, a really important question here, I think, for especially, again, Christian listeners, because the book, you're coming at it from a very uh, scientific approach yeah. uh, without a, a, not a lot of Christianese, which I appreciate. But when you do the overlay, what God is about in all this, um, what are we learning as a parent as we lose control? I mean, God gives us these same freedoms, right? Yes. I mean, yes. that's what's such an amazing analogy. This is exactly what the Lord does with his children. And haven't you been through points? I've been through points when I wish God didn't give me as much freedom. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, I really would have been happy to be zapped, yeah. but he doesn't. And it really adds to the the knowledge that God doesn't have grandchildren. All of us face God directly. And the idea that one of the most painful ones is having a child that is not a believer and really feeling like that has something to do with me as a parent. And it does not. You know, Jesus was very clear that no one comes to the Father except to me except that the Father draw them. Mm. It is a, a one-to-one. Each of us deals with God. And that issue of control um, has taught me a whole lot about uh, my relationship with God and how we each are, are – that's our responsibility. And I think that's a hard one because we want so much to drag – our children at any age to the throne of grace and you can't and it's such a i think the control issue is kind of the core issue in so many ways and then it opens up other things in fact you said in the book handing over control typically opens up communication and makes communication better how have you seen that work and and why do we struggle with that as parents believing it? it's kind of like uh, the opposite 
yeah. is true. Yeah. And it, I'm sure you struggle with convincing parents, hey, listen, you give up certain control with responsibility, you're going to be amazed at how better the communication is. And they're going, you got to be crazy. All yes. the person, all that teenager says today is, whatever. Whatever. Well, usually <laughs> they, they often don't even believe you. So sometimes you'll think about handing over control. Um, by just kind of being nicer and not saying too much. And that you really need to be clear about, uh, for example, your friendships are your choice. Who you think you need to hang with is up to you. I don't, you can't even guarantee I like who you hang with, but we are not going to be trying to control it. You want to be super clear about that so that, for example, in that case, you can say, um, are you sure that this is a good guy to hang out with? You guys seem to get into trouble a lot. Well, he's a good person. I'm not saying you can't. It's up to you. But it worries me. Those kind of examples, once you're clear that I'm not trying to control about you. to tell you what to do, yeah, uh, yeah then it's very powerful that kids uh, are more honest. It is a little bit like giving oxygen to young adults that uh, often feel like they're being choked out. Uh, and because I need to know, am I gaining freedom here? But not all freedom, because it also makes it easier, and this is particularly true today with phones. Parents have to do a lot of, nope, you cannot have that phone in your room. That comes up all the time. Yeah. It's easier to say no to that if they believe you that, look, the answer isn't no, it's not yet, because everything will be in your control yeah. at this point. And that eases even the hard stuff you have to do, yeah. uh, like limits and curfew and all these things, if they know that we're on our way out. Can, in fact, uh, I think the producer got a story from you about a 14-year-old girl who uh, did a little bullying, I think, online. She was a little mean towards somebody. And yeah. the girls jumped on her. Yes. Explain how you coached the parent. Well, when... You know, there's so many examples where something really bad has happened. And we must help our teenager here. And one of the common ones is if you have a kid with ADHD, they're impulsive and they'll say stuff they shouldn't say. Uh, they don't really see it coming. And if it's a girl, it's really hard. So one example was a 14-year-old ADHD girl who had texted in a group text something that was much meaner than she intended. It was very inappropriate. And parents were careful to not jump in and um, control all that, but they really did walk with, they let her know, look, how you deal with your friends, you're too old for us to, we wish we could help you with this or, or fix it for you. But what are you going to do? And they ended up kind of walking through as um, advisors. And by the end of it, she was sending her dad texts like screenshots of these texts asking, hey, what should I say to this? Like looking yeah. for their feedback. Getting the advice. That's right. Because that's the opposite of the most common, which is because this is too bad and too much risk, we're going to step in and control that. And the teenager then, you know, will delete texts. I'm not going to even let you know what's going on. That's a very common thing to do. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. When his wife became pregnant with their fourth child, Greg panicked. But a Focus on the Family counselor put everything into perspective. He said, the first thing you need to realize is kids are a blessing. They're always a blessing. That they're gifts from God. And the second thing he said was, kids value relationships, not stuff. I'm Jim Daly. Let's give more families hope. Any gift you send will be doubled at focusonthefamily.com family. God wants true disciples, ones that think like Him, talk like Him, 
walk like him. Disciples that bring shalom to the chaos of this world. Pursue that path with the RVL Discipleship Series. Bible scholar Ray Vanderlaan will give you the tools to understand the Bible more deeply and inspire you to be a passionate follower of Christ. Watch the first episode at rvldiscipleship.com. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Ken, let me come back uh, to the dialogue uh, between a teen and a parent, kind of day-to-day stuff. But so often at that time, they seem highly distracted. I mean, especially if they're looking at their phone or they're coming back from practice or whatever they're doing. And you're you're saying, even without the inquisitory tone, you know, how'd your day go? I'm fine. Yeah. Good. Oh, yeah. And you get all these one word, maybe one word answers or the whatever, you know, that kind of thing. What kind of tools do you equip parents to go, mm-hmm. okay, let's get a little deeper. How do we create a little more back and forth together? So if we, you can, if like, you how can. do I do all I can do? And I think your first step is to do a brief assessment. Like, what's the problem here? Communication problems are not always the same. The most common is, like we said, control. Uh, that's where we get this um, almost just prejudice, the assumption that that's the way they all are. Good morning. No, it's not. That's If they feel over-controlled, that's common. But sometimes when you're really looking for more feedback, um, like on a deeper level, like, well, how did you feel about them all you know, still snapping after you left and uh, that – you may have a kid whose emotional maturity isn't that great. There may be a big kid, he's playing football, but if if he's talking to his friends in still grunts and, you know, yeah, and whatever, it's not like it's there's some technique that you're doing wrong that's keeping them from saying, well, Mom, I do feel sometimes <laughs> deeply you know, disturbed. It, it's just that's how he is. So yeah. that's a, not necessarily a big communication problem. It depends on what you're expecting from them. Yeah. That's a common one. And sometimes one of the things that I learned was more open-ended questions where they had to fill in blanks. Sometimes they're not good at that. Yeah. And you almost do better to give them a, a multiple-choice question. Right. So are you looking forward to it? Are you a little meaty? about it or are you really just go see and that's you know (laughs) but that's kind of where they are and so it depends on what that issue is another big issue is privacy and this is a especially in the teen years this is such a fine balance for a parent because you have the protection mode you're trying to loosen control yet you know they could be making bad decisions so you know you're trying to figure out you know two drops of privacy and (laughs) one drop of boundary and you're going yeah yeah so speak to the privacy issue in terms of how much emancipation for privacy do you give them without knocking on the door? Like, what's going on in there? Um, you know, I think a lot of that is – I would think of it less about a balance of stuff because that's talked about a lot. I think it's more about territories of stuff. Being realistic, do I – for example, when it comes to communication, uh, it is not – a gracious thing to remind your teenager and yourself that I cannot make you talk to me uh, about things that are important if you don't want to. That's not a technique. That's just true. What's different, though, is teenagers need to know, do you know that? Does my parent know that you can't make me? And the other one, getting to privacy, a lot of times it's also important to be careful about uh, trust. If your teenager does share something with you that's pretty deep, uh, they need to know that that's not going to be announced at the next uh, family reunion or just <laughs> talked about or thrown on the uh, prayer request line. Uh, they need to be able to know that, with some exceptions, they need to know that 
where is this you know information coming to or going to because as you know teenagers are very private and so being clear about that but a lot of it is more being clear about what areas you're you are in fact still able to control in what areas you're not and making sure your teenager knows that you know that i can't make you talk to me uh much of the time what parents are trying to do when they're lecturing is just giving advice and advice giving is better done by announcing it first hey this is up to you and you probably don't agree with me but and then you throw in that middle part and then you end up with but listen if you don't want to do that if you think that's silly that's up to you that makes it clear that what i'm telling you is not something i'm trying to control and it makes it a lot easier for teenagers to hear you you know one of the things i struggle with and especially even if you go to marriage counseling and and even parenting help yeah the beautiful way of setting up a feeling that you're having or a concern that you have. And when you're in that training mode, when you're hearing experts talk about it, it sounds so, yeah, that makes sense. Honey, <laughs> I've been observing lately that we've got a little friction. And it sounds so good. For me, it pops out like, Gene, why do you keep yeah, doing know, that? We never did that stuff well. That's exactly <laughs> right. But Use when you're talking to experts, yeah, it yeah, sounds yeah, so good yeah, yeah. to your teen. You know, hon, you don't have to listen to this advice, but let me, if I may, yeah. can I share yeah, a little yeah. wisdom with you? And would you be willing to at least listen to it? That sounds so great. <laughs> it it never comes out that Especially way. Especially if you're scared, it doesn't sound, it's not going to come out that way. So how do we train ourselves as parents to take that deep breath, say those great setup lines, that hopefully we believe, and then deliver that tidbit that we think they'll benefit from. I think from. it starts with, do you believe it? I really do. It's a, it's not a small thing. I'm not kidding. No time around the planet ever thought of a 14, 15, 16-year-old as a child. Yeah. And so, again, it's not a technique. It's a reality of recognizing that mm. this is a young, impoverished, you know, not very experienced adult. And you, mostly if you have friendships... You're not going to say to your friend, listen, there's a few things I think you need to hear here. I mean, you'd start with, especially men, you know, men start with uh, apologetic like, Jim, it's none of my business, dude, but uh, you know what I mean? Like, that's that's how we do it. So I think a lot of it is if you recognize the reality that you are talking to a young adult, it can be less techniquey because we're the same as you. We didn't didn't do follow formulas very well yeah you just spoke right up let me hit a couple more uh, and if we can we'll come back tomorrow and pick the conversation up because there's so much great content this is honestly i feel like your approach this book helped us in our parenting probably more than anything else so i'm a big enthusiast for this and and i just want more parents to be equipped in this way and it really really turned our relationship around with trent it was just beautiful to watch it happen And it was quick. I mean, yeah. once we let go, Trent turned right toward us, and it was great. Um, you urge parents and teens to learn how to disagree. That's a that's interesting, given politics and uh, campus issues and right. everything going on. For a parent to say, "I'm okay with you disagreeing with me," feels odd. It can feel even uncaring. Like, I I think what you're saying is wrong. It's ungodly. I'm not going to say that's okay. Well, again, that gets back to recognizing the reality that you cannot control your teenager's thinking. And so you're agreeing to disagree, which is only saying, I get it, that you don't think like I do, and I don't think like you do, and that just has to be. It's not even something, again, to say, I'm not okay with that, is a little foolish, because what are you going to do about it? And let me ask you in this regard, because so much of culture seeps into us and into the church, 
how capable are we today versus 100 years ago? Not that you have data from 100 years ago. <laughs> Almost. But, but that idea of being comfortable with disagreement. It's like today we kind of have to line up politically, culturally, and then we're friends or then we're, you know, good Christians. Yeah. But that's not, you know, there is disagreement on some things. Which is a big part of why this is more important than ever. You really, you say you've got a kind of a soft-hearted 17-year-old that doesn't seem to disagree with much and is going along fine. That's not okay. Our teenagers have to be prepared to deal with a world that really thinks that we are nuts. And so part of agreeing to disagree includes inviting teenagers into, hey, what do you think? You know that I happen to like when our pastor preaches like they did this morning, but dude, do you even, what do you think? Does it like it, it's just reminding or letting your teenager know, I get it, that you may think differently from me. Because, oh, I hate when a teenager's in my office saying, you know, I'm like, so what are you praying for? Uh, oh, I'm not a Christian. Oh, well, you're the leader of your church's worship team. I thought... I thought that meant, yeah, don't tell my parents because they'll be real upset. Well, that's the most ineffective kind of parenting that you want to know what your teenager disagrees with. Yeah. And I'll mm-hmm. bet you 10 bucks what they disagree with is what they think is, is non-accepting yeah. of other people. And you have to be able to really say, hey, I get it that you may not agree with us. And that I wish you did, but I can't change that. And then the challenge for us as parents is to give the Lord and the Holy Spirit time to work and trust. Him <laughs> we want, we ch- want the I add know. water and wow, they're That's going to right. Bible study. That's and, right. That's I mean, right. we are so impatient when it comes to spiritual development, it, right? And we don't, you can't trust the Holy Spirit with these things. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's reality, ridiculous. It's, it's really yeah, hard. Let's to get do real. That. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Ken, this is so good. And I said it and I'll say it again. Uh, great material, fantastic ideas. And you're equipping parents to really do the job of emancipating their teenagers and not holding on to childhood into their 20s and 30s, which is a big mistake. So let them have authority in those teen years, which you describe so well in the book, Feeding the Mouth That Bites You. Let them also have the responsibility for that authority. And we'll get more into that next time. So thanks for being with us. Enjoyed it. So appreciate it. And if you want to be part of the ministry, just send a donation of any amount, and we'll send you a copy of Ken's great book, Feeding the Mouth That Bites You, as our way of saying thank you for being part of the ministry. Those proceeds go right back into helping people. We're not paying shareholders uh, profit here. So uh, do it that way. And if you could do it monthly, it really helps. Yeah, we appreciate your generosity, which allows us to reach around the world and offer help like this to parents and uh, to families. Uh, Donate generously as you can when you call 800, the letter A in the word family, or stop by focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast to learn how to donate and get copies of this book. Another great resource we have that we'd like to tell you about is our Age and Stage e-newsletter. Every week we can provide you with trusted parenting advice tailored to your child's age. If you'd like to stay in the know about what's happening in today's culture and how it impacts your child, uh, these weekly newsletters will really give you the answers you're seeking. Sign up for this free age and stage newsletter at focusonthefamily.com broadcast. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once again continue the conversation with Dr. Ken Wilgus and help you and your family thrive in Christ. listening to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. 
We'll take a quick break and then return with the second half of this program for your family. Stay tuned. Your marriage can be redeemed, even if the fights seem constant, even if there's been an affair, even if you haven't felt close in years. No matter how deep the wounds are, you can take a step toward healing them with a Hope Restored Marriage Intensive. Our biblically-based counseling will help you find the root of your problems and face challenges together. We'll talk with you, pray with you, and help you find out which program will work best. Call us at 1-866-875-2915. Tommy, I need you to clean your room or you'll have to take a time out. No, that won't work. He'll just sit around. No dessert, no TV, no friends. (laughs) Right. And no breakfast, no lunch, no dinner. Well, I know exactly how that mom feels. I tried that once. It doesn't work. Oh, my goodness. You want your child to do what they're supposed to do. Uh, How do you communicate this? How do you get order around everything? It's hard. And we're going to be talking about situations like that and so much more in our conversation, our follow-up with Dr. Ken Wilkes today on Focus on the Family. Thanks for joining us. I'm John Fuller, and your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly. John, this is part two of the conversation. Mm -hmm. So if people miss part one, go back and get it. You can get it at our website, get the app on your smartphone, and then you have access to the full library. Yep. And that's a good way to do it as well. But uh, yesterday, we covered a lot of wonderful content from Dr. Ken Wilgus, a book that he's written, Feeding the Mouth That Bites You, which basically is how to emancipate your teenagers so they can become successful, strong adults. And that is the goal. Sometimes as parents, we tend to want to uh, kind of put them in a time capsule and leave them at 12 Mm. and never mature the relationship. But guess what? You need to, and you're going to be equipped today and last time to know how to do it. Yeah, Dr. Wilgus uh, really does such a great job of keeping the end in mind. And so uh, uh, we're so glad to have him back. He is a psychologist. He specializes in adolescent behavior. He's an author and a speaker and a podcast host. He's been here a number of times on the broadcast. And as you said, Jim, uh, this terrific book that he has, uh, we're making that available to listeners. It's called Feeding the Mouth That Bites You, A Complete Guide to Parenting Adolescents and Launching Them into the world. That's so good. Ken, welcome back. Thanks. Thanks. Glad to be here. I love it. And again, I said this last time, you really helped Gene and I in our journey of parenting. So I am a fan of the content. Uh, hopefully, probably your number one fan. I think Gene has given away like 50 of Jean your books. Gene is the number one fan. <laughs> <laughs> so she just, you know, it's hard to move people. And uh, every author who puts their ideas into print you're hoping for those people that really grab it and apply it, and it works. Yeah. That's that's what counts, yeah, right? right? And I can only attest to the fact that it really worked for us. So wonderful job, and again, great content. Let's get back into it. Uh, one of the problems you address is how many uh, parents will discipline their teenagers the same way they did when they were children, kind of what I've been talking right. about. You know, I'm going to go at it the same way at 15 as I did when they were eight. And that's just a lack of probably energy and focus and thinking it through because you need to mature your relationship with the age of your child. And so often I'll see a a mom talking to her teenager like an eight-year-old. I'm going, "Uh uh-oh, that's got to be really demeaning to the poor kid. Yeah, it is. And if if there's anything worse than a a teenager that doesn't push back against being demeaned like that, it's sometimes more and more teenagers that don't push back about being talked down to like that. Yeah. That can be almost their spirit broken enough that they don't even try anymore. So, yeah, it's it's not good. It does not prepare them for the adulthood they need to be prepared so for. So with the thousands of uh, parents that you've helped counsel, when you see that kind of thing, what? how do you arrest that 
behavior in the parent and give them something to latch on to say, okay, when I start doing that, you got to move off of that eight-year-old attempt and get it back to the 15-year-old. It really depends on the parent. So one group of parents that that have a hard time with this is very nurturing mothers because <laughs> right. that kind of talk is sweet. It's just trying to be helpful, and there's a way of almost like having an accent. You can't even hear it. Mm. And and But, I've you know, the moms that come to me uh, want to do this. You know, they get it intellectually, but in their heart it can feel wrong. I'm not going to just let him go out there and not remind him to this and this and this. That's unloving. But you have to add in a another part of how you hear things, which is what you're talking A lot of dads are a little better at hearing the respect part. It's not about being loving or unloving. It's about being respectful of the fact that at this stage of life, that's not going to be uh, helpful in their preparation as an adult. In laying the foundation for this discussion today, let me ask this question. And I didn't have the experience of having girls. So, John, you guys need to jump in. But I've seen that. Do you see, with your counseling, do you see uh, certain regularities with, like, mom and sons and then dads and daughters? Oh, yes. And speak to that. I know we're not even supposed to bring up the gender issue, but hey, guess what? We're boys and girls. You'd be foolish not to. <laughs> so, yeah. so with those differences, what do you see, and how can you help a dad communicate better with a daughter and a mom with a son? So the, the probably the, the straight line that all of the feeding of the mouth is about most cleanly is your son's. Um, daughters are a little bit they're always a little harder uh, a little little more more complicated the issue of complete autonomy and respect is an issue for girls for sure but it can be more complicated because girls are more focused on connection Mm. the most the most heated is a mother who was really close to her son when he was little the boy that would get in and tell her everything and whatever and he was close to her and that ironically can be a problem in adolescence because she can say, hey, how are you doing? And he thinks she's in his head and reading his mind and he's just all worked up and it really hurts her feelings. So that kind of intensity uh, is, is ironically one of the more common huh. ones. The other probably right behind it is a father and daughter. Speak to, so the mom listening that's having that or maybe the precursor to that right now, how can she translate that into a healthier understanding of what's happening? Because that yeah. son is trying to become independent. He's actually right. on the natural course, but it creates this friction. Well, it, you know, and I've, moms have really impressed me in that way. I can remember, I think I've even mentioned before, years ago, there was a mom who fully got the feeding the mouth stuff. But she was just all about this boy, and they were really tight. And I remember one day I'd seen him several mm. sessions, and they were in the waiting room and having an argument. So I come out, and That's she goes, ter- I want to go in with him. I want to come. I'm like, okay. So she comes in and goes, I want him to tell me why is he mad at me all the time. And I turned to her, and I said, we talked about that three weeks ago. He doesn't like you. <laughs> That's And she oh was like, gosh. oh, yeah. But she understood what that meant. Of course he loved her. They were tight. But it was hard for him to like her m- uh, maternal stuff. But she laughed because she she was very smart. And she understood that those instincts, as strong as they are, does in itself create a, a tension that isn't mm. real. And it doesn't mean that he doesn't love her. You know, and I would think as a psychologist, what you're doing as a Christian who's a psychologist, it's really about awareness for everybody. Awareness for the teen. Right. But what I've heard from you pretty regularly is it's that awareness from the parent. The parent tends to be the bigger problem. Now, we as parents don't like to hear that. 
Yes. Well, we, you know, I want to be careful. It's not that parents are causing the problem, but we do heat things up uh, for sure. And and with if we're going to talk about the mom example, it's another reason why your marriage is critically important. Uh, the, you know, mm. the answer to that mom's heart that feels rejected by these kids needs to be her husband that's gone baby, this was great before they showed up, and we can be great again, and he really needs to take a lot of time with her, not to, you know, remind her, hey, you're not supposed to do that. It's more like, hey, I get it. I know how that is for you, and come talk to me, not them, and let's get through this together. It's really helpful to her because uh, her heart is still going to be struggling even though she understands that I need to back up, I need to give respect. Let me let me delve into that for a minute because I think it's important to talk about the marital relationship in that way. Moms tend to carry a big burden in that area. Oh, in the marriage? Or in the... the, the in the marriage about the parenting. Yeah, absolutely. And so moms feel it deeper. They're more concerned. And I think we as dads, we can give the impression that we're flippant. We're not concerned. Right. Although I think what, if we're, if there's some credit due, it's that we have a bigger picture and this isn't a mountain, it's a mohill. We tend not to get stirred up quite like mom might. Fathering style is, as I call it, warrior training. From very early, most dads have that sense of, well, honey, if we keep doing this, he's never going to learn to whatever. That's a common thing. We've never had these children in us. We don't know what that's like. Right. For mothers, it's it's the nurturing I'm going to provide and take care of. And those are two needed instincts in the household. Uh, that's why it's really important for your marriage to be strong, because it can really scare a mother it can feel like I'm talking to a husband who just doesn't get it. He keeps saying, well, let's just let them work it out. If he knew and was involved like I am, he wouldn't say that. And he needs to do the work of really letting her know, no, 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 I, I tell me again all that you're concerned about and try to prove to her I get what you're saying, uh, but I also think we need to let go of this. And I think in that regard, the the key thing there is both are needed. I want to put that in Those, neon. That's you exactly right. Because if, if a mom tries to make a mom out of the dad, that's not good because you're going to overweight that nurturing. And if a dad tries to make mom a dad... You're not going to have enough love and nurture. And I have couples that do this in yeah. reverse. Oh, I yeah. do have, you know, where the, where the mom is much better. She's like, hey, I showed him your book, and he's not sure this is going to be carrying. For, and I'm like, she's doing it right. And yeah. so it, it's not always as predictable. So moving to practical application, one of the things you say in the book is that you need to become a judge as a parent, not a policeman. Yes. It's so easy to be the cop. Yes. <laughs> so feeding the mouth to bite you is not about backing off and letting your teenager do whatever. Right. When we talk about the freedoms, parents are like, well, you're just giving over stuff. Then when we get to the limit setting, a lot of times parents are like, well, that's a little rough. Because if you say what you – if you need to mean what you say. So if the curfew is, um, you know, 11, then at 11.01, some consequence needs to happen. But – there's a huge difference between the kind of idea that I need to make sure my kid is home at 11, which you can't do for a 17-year-old or 16-year-old, but you have a lot of power as a judge. Remember, you own everything that they have, even the shirt on their back. And so a policeman may be the one that texts 100 times, where are you? I thought you said you'd be here, whatever. It's a very weird Here's a ticket. Cop. Here's a ticket. Come on. And the judge is the one going, so... It's too late to even talk about it now. It's already 11.45. Let's talk in the morning. This is not going to be good for you. And and you lay out clear consequences. Yeah. Not with a lot of words, whatever. but dude, I hope yeah. it was a good time because you're grounded for a week. And make that count. It's very powerful. You're a, you're a judge, not a policeman. One of the mm. things that can be really hard is the severity of penalty, that yes. responsibility you're yes. talking about. And 
boy, between mom and dad, they can be very disparate yes. application. Yes. Like, you know, you're grounded for a month. Well, I was yes. thinking three days. Yes. How, how do you negotiate yeah. that before you get into the arena with your teenager so you're both on the same you page? You start by negotiating as married people, not co-parents. Yeah. So the dad starts by saying, honey, that seems like a lot to me. Can you tell me what you'd what would scare you if we were to drop it to a week? And then she would say, because husbands love to hear, but, but honey, if that's what you think we should do, I want to respect your part of it. And you, so he shows that kind of love and connection to her. She shows respect to him, and they come together in finding that. Uh, again, it's the most common is a dad's going to say, well, that's a long time. And a mom's going to think, you don't get it. You're not really seeing this. And he needs to prove to her, wait a minute, isn't, aren't you concerned? And if she hears her feelings coming out of his mouth, it's very comforting. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. Feel that nip in the air? It's time to put on fuzzy socks, drink some hot cocoa, and decorate your home with a new season of Focus on the Family's Christmas Stories podcast. This year, we'll talk about the nativity story in the Gospel of Luke. Join us as we chat about how Christ's birth inspires us, how we celebrate the season, and ways we find that childlike wonder again. Listen to the Christmas Stories podcast on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Can you mention this? I want to tap this again. You urge parents to create an expectations and consequence list. Right. So let's kind of use that as, as an example. What does it look like and how is it different from a contract, let's say? Yes. I love the contracts. Yes. They're never... Contracts. Parents always tell me, we had a contract and, and he signed it, but guess what? He's not following yeah. it. Yeah, and therefore, it's... we're taking him to court. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it ain't going to happen. It was actually a story of that in New York, but that's not important. Yeah. The thing is that um, you want to be clear that it kind of mixes the two when you try to be... Uh, let's be understand, come to agreement. And that's not ineffective, but often it's where it loses effectiveness is that it's blending two things. The teenager doesn't want to know, when are you, are you going to allow me to do this? It's it, There's a constant understated or underlying fear that, when are you going to leave me alone and let me do this? Right. So the freedoms list is the first list that you put together. Then the expectations and consequences list, once you have that freedoms list, you don't have to kind of kid around. Of Expectations and consequences is these are the things we expect, put in clear language, and this is what we promise we will do to you if you do not do it. So it's, the, it's not an agreement uh, as much as a way to trust that we will not do more than this, but this will be the consequence. If you don't Get your food. If you have food in your room after we've told you you can't, it's a dollar for every plate, cup, and and that's it. We'll just do that. But you, you know, it's a promise that this is what we expect. That's what I was going to ask you an example. So the freedom is you can certainly eat in your room, but the consequence is the expectation is the dishes never stay in the room, or at the very least, yeah, I have no problem with you can eat in your room. Yeah, if if I find it. Um, and again, here's what the consequence will be. Now, how granular do you drive that list? I mean, the freedoms, is that a list of 12 things typically or 20? Or? It, it grows with age so that by the end of pretty much high school, everyone listening, it's the end of high school that you don't actually have control. Right. Um, so by that point, you want to have moved everything that's on the expectations list over 
to freedoms. Yeah. Uh, you, you may not be welcome in my home if you're going to live like that, but um, you know, th- we're not making you do anything anymore. So both of those lists are shortening by their senior year in high school. That's, uh, well, the freedoms list increases. So for my freedoms kids, increase in the their other, 13th birthday, yeah. they got the freedom to keep your room however you want. Um, they had the freedom to listen to whatever music they want because, again, these are things we didn't really have good control now, over. Now, you know parents are gasping right now. Oh, especially the that. room one. I have yeah, photos. Room and music. This music. This Well, the music. <laughs> the best part about music is that, as I always mentioned, that's changed even in the 30 years I've been doing this. Yeah. There used to be these plastic things called CDs. People don't probably don't even remember that. <laughs> it gave we, us it more was, control <laughs> as parents. <laughs> that's exactly right. You did. But now you just don't. If you look on the YouTube of a popular song, it will have some billion listens. That's how it's being. It's just if you have internet, you can listen. It's ineffective. But to say, um, look, we get it. I wish we could control, but we can't. You have to make your own decisions about that. And there's limits with it. Like if I catch your little sister listening to it, then you're going to lose your phone for a day. You can do that. But by being upfront, that's a freedom. It gives you the the uh, more flexibility in communicating. But if it's a thing we've said that you cannot, then again, those are the, like phones now are the thing that comes up all the time. You will have a set limit on the phone. You'll wake up three weeks later and go, "Hey, we're not doing that thing we said. Clean it off, like dust off home plate again, and set the limit that these things have to be on the charger by nine, whatever the thing is. Yeah, not in your room. And and if not, yeah. here's the consequence. And and that goes down easier if you've had those those freedoms that you're giving and being able to communicate about it. And don't be surprised that your teenager is so upset that you're still making me bring this phone down. Because their thought is, you should have nothing to do with this. This is up to me. And our thought is, uh, that's not even your phone. And yeah, so start there. <laughs> uh, we agree to disagree. Yeah. Uh, and, but here, you know, you didn't have it down when we told you to. So here's the consequence. Boy, and it can create so much friction in yes. the relationship. Yeah. But really sticking to the principles is really important yeah. so that your kids again you're trying to equip them to have good discernment and to learn and uh, that's the goal uh, whenever we talk about rules and enforcing consequences with teenagers like we are right now the issue of disrespect mm-hmm. comes up because teenagers maybe aren't expressing themselves all that well right, right and so it comes out as this yeah whatever right i remember the first time troy he gave me the we with his hand you know like we and you i'm going to keep up with these and things. i was like what does that mean he goes dad come on it's whatever <laughs> and i'm like oh okay i, I was so, so make a slow. rule over that no whatever's no and it wasn't yeah. even troy is, just doesn't have a disrespectful bone in his body but he was right. just kind of getting me caught up to the lingo whatever well, parents are kind of on two different ends of that there are some parents that I have to advise, you want to be careful that you don't accidentally make a rule that says you can't be real mad at me for no good reason. <laughs> so tone of voice, yelling. Yeah. If you're married, you know that yelling is a quite a subjective thing. I'm not yelling. Yes, I am. So you want to be careful to be clear on what we mean by disrespect is calling us names, cursing, uh, being um, giving direct threats. You be real clear on what that is and what it's not. Yeah, that's a big one. I remember, you know, Trent is six seven, and I remember he was probably a senior in high school, and he said something was a little snappy at Gene, and I jumped up in front of him at six two, going, "Hey, you don't talk." To, and of course, I'm looking up. Yeah. You don't talk to your that mother one, like yeah. that. And he's looking down at me, going, "What are you gonna do?" Yeah. <laughs> 
I mean, it's, and to his credit, he de-escalated probably better than I did, frankly. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. it worked. Uh, but but that's that can, limited because that some <laughs> other parent. Ironically, I have more parents now that because he's upset. Yeah, he drops f bombs all the time, and I'm like, mm. wait, he didn't. He knows he can't do that at school. So you can have a rule uh, with a reasonable Absolutely. consequence. You know, not huge. It's not nice, but it's fine. It's another dollar. Do you want to calm down, dude? I think you're losing money yeah. fast. But being specific so that you don't either have a rule that says you can't be mad at me or the other end, which is, well, if you're mad, then we don't have any limits because we know you can't control yourself. That's not true. I could hear you saying, but correct me if I'm wrong, you know, being mad at me is okay, but lashing out or being deeply disrespectful right. is never okay yeah well in, i shouldn't do that to you and you shouldn't do that to me so you said this is stupid and i don't agree with you but you said i'm stupid and that's going to cost you a buck so <laughs> so there's a line of it's sort of like how you would talk to a boss that you're pretty close to you you get along well you know and then you but there's you, there's a point where hey wait i'm still your boss you can't talk to me like that yeah let's let's get into the house rules list this is something we have on our wall. <laughs> the Not house now. rules. Oh, it's for you. I, it may still be you. hanging up in the That's basement, but it definitely <laughs> was there for a while. And it was a great list, by the way. We bought it at some great bookstore, I'm like sure Focus on the Family Bookstore. Great store, by the way. <laughs> and, you know, it had a dozen things. We treat each other with respect and all those wonderful things. H- how do we inculcate? house rules with maybe not having to hang them on the wall. I, I guess what's your philosophy about that? Some well, I, people say house rules really don't, aren't effective. I think with children, it's great. Yeah, I think you like younger list, kids, absolutely. six, seven, eight, nine. This is what you do. I check yeah. when you do. You can even add rewards if you do it. I, th- I think up to 12, go nuts. The question is, does it change in effectiveness with teenagers? Yeah, it really does. So you do better to clarify an area of control. You have to have this vacuumed by Tuesdays and Fridays. Uh, you have to do the uh, empty the dishwasher every Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Something very clear and a consequence if you don't, but but less of the um, tracking it as much. You, you want to basically just be able to check by bedtime so that you can say, hey, I, the dishwasher's still not empty, so... You lost five bucks, and if it's not done by the time you leave for school, you're going to lose your phone. Something that, again, you're not um, – you definitely the, – the implied rewards for teenager is leave me alone, not a pizza party at the end of the week. That's not a <laughs> – but being clear about that I need you to do this and not being surprised if your teenager doesn't want to. What kind of a 16-year-old just eats his food and walks away and doesn't even think about his dishes? Lots of sixteen-year-olds. Yeah. You know, it's not unusual. You put a rule. You have to do this, and if you don't, there's a consequence. Ken, when you we're right at the end. The time passes so fast. Mm-hmm. But when you look at all the parents you've counseled with their teens, what is that story, or maybe a couple stories, where even in your own mind you're going, "This is going to be tough," but it worked. Describe uh, a scenario like I that. Have tons of those. Yeah. I remember talking to a guy who uh, came to see me. Years later, I'd worked through with his teenagers, and he was wanting to consult about a career change. But I asked, hey, how's, how's your daughter? How's your son? And he's like, oh, they're great. We're going to see them, um, you know, with one of them has a grandchild and all this. And, and I said, remember when you were pretty sure everything was just going to go off a cliff? And he was like, 
yeah, there really isn't a cliff, is there? And I said, no, it's there's rapids, and you go through it, and then you end up on the other side. And, and But do you end up on the other side, upside down or right side uh, up? <laughs> almost always right side up. Good, good to hear. But it does make a difference that, you know, they had uh, backed up, not panicked, s- clarified what they were really had limits on, and clarified, and this was the harder part because there was some texting and things that were scary, clarified the things that they're not requiring. And that calmed everything down. And, and as happens always, their kids turned out better than they thought. Yeah. You back away, you let your, let your teenagers surprise you with just how well, not like you thought they would, but that they turn out yeah. the way that God has always ex- said they would. And it's not all about whether you did it right. I would, there was nothing that we could foresee that, that turned Trent the way that this content did. And it was beautiful to watch. Mm. I mean, as soon as we backed down, and gave over control, uh, he turned emotionally toward us. In fact, the night I remember, um, Jean had made a wonderful dinner, and he went out and he sent her a text saying, Mom, that was such an awesome meal. Thank you for taking the time to cook it and prepare what it for us. What a grown-up. Oh, I was like, and I remember saying to Jean, like, who is this? <laughs> that was the That was the day. Yes. That it really turned, and he hasn't stopped. I mean, he does that regularly mm. when he comes now, when he comes to the house and yeah. has a great meal that yeah. mom's made. And it's just a, it, to me, it's a great testimony Powerful. to what you are asserting in the book. And we give you great credit That's for that. Great. And uh, it worked. And That's so I hope great. people will catch this. And uh, it is fearful for a parent to give up control. But you know what? It, it is so in alignment with the gospel. Uh, God says, choose. You choose me or you don't have to choose me, but it's going to go a lot better if you do. And I, I think that's the same in our own parenting journey. It's true. You know, you say to your child, your teenager, choose this path or choose that path, but it's your choice. And uh, there's so much power that comes with that. So great to have you here the last two days. Thanks. Thank you so very much. Look great. forward to more. Yeah. Good it's to be here. So good. And if you would like to really revamp your parenting approach, if you're in that teen or preteen mode with your kids at home, get a copy of this great resource by Dr. Ken Wilgus, Feeding the Mouth That Bites You. Uh, For a monthly pledge of any amount, we'll send this book to you. Your ongoing support is really, really key. It enables us to respond to the hundreds of thousands of moms and dads who are looking for practical help to raise good and godly kids. And working together, we can meet that need. So sign up for a pledge today or a one-time gift if that's all you can afford. We understand that, and we really appreciate your generosity. Yeah, we're a phone call away. Our number is 800, the letter A in the word family, 800-232-6459. Or uh, just stop by the show notes for all the details about donating and getting a copy of this terrific book by Dr. Ken Wilgus, Feeding the Mouth That Bites You. When you're at the website, check out our Age and Stage e-newsletters, which are designed for you. Our parenting team has uh, compiled hot topics to keep you up to date along with practical advice and encouragement tailored to the age of your child. Best of all, this resource is free, and you can find the link at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller, inviting you back as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ.
Is your marriage holding on by a thread? For deep hurt, you need deep healing that only comes from the Lord. And you'll find it at a Focus on the Family Hope Restored Intensive in Michigan. Our licensed Christian counselors will help you and your spouse get to the root of your issues in just three to five days. And it works. 80% of the couples are still married two years after attending. Learn more at HopeRestored.com and talk with a trusted advisor. That's HopeRestored.com.